Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. This is long overdue, isn't it, Alina? Because we have not been doing enough prehistory lately, but you found something pretty exciting for us. I have. I have very much so. We have with us today uh, Thomas... We have with us today Thomas Sidotto, who is a director and author who's currently working on many different scientific, archaeological and historical documents for TV. But today he's come to talk to us about his new book, Lady Sapiens, which was also made into a documentary with Eric Pincas, who's also the co-author of the book and the documentary, along with apparently what Thomas just said earlier was the real scientist, who is Jennifer Kerner, uh, the archaeologist who was on the project. Welcome, Thomas. Hi. Hi, how are you? Nice, very nice to meet you. I'm really excited. I mean, Alex is excited about this one, but you've got the book. Let me start again, because that book was absolutely gorgeous, the artwork. And it's really interesting because we're talking about women, like women, prehistorical women today. Yes, for sure. We we are interested uh, about this topic because... We've just uh, made a, a previous documentary on, on Neanderthal. And just after finishing this project, we were asking us what to do next. And uh, we all, uh, at that period, uh, on 2018, there was a lot of things, uh, new research about the evolution of man. And that's where's the point, the evolution of man. What about the woman? Where was the woman, you know? So uh, we started to investigate this, uh, this thematic, and uh, we met Sophie de Bourne, which, is where, which uh, became our scientific advisor on the uh, Lady Sapiens project. And she just made a, a whole synthesis uh, about all the work that has been made on women since the 30 last years. And so uh, she uh, helped us uh, to finding some uh, evidence of what we can say about the role, the status, and the place of uh, prehistoric women during the, Paleolithic, uh, the upper Paleolithic period. So that's the, uh, the, the last period of humanity where you have these hunter-gatherers 
wandering uh, all around Europe and Asia and Africa. So if we're talking about, you said we're talking about the last period of uh, oh, yeah. hunter-gatherers. The, so when is that? Upper Paleolithic. That's uh, okay. Uh, the Upper Paleolithic, it's from approximately minus 45,000 years ago until minus 10,000 years ago. Wow, that is some time frame. Uh, Alina and I both do 20th century history, so we're about to get schooled here. Um, You've got one particular excavation, haven't you, that's really important, and that's Renoncourt. Why is that? Well, Renoncourt was uh, the first thing that's uh, just, uh, you know, we were working working on the subject of Lady Sapien, and, and this new discovery uh, was made in, in Renancourt, and it just astonished us because suddenly uh, this uh, faces of, of women arose from the sands. Uh, they have discovered in Renancourt, which is a, a place in French, in, in north of France, near Amiens, uh, it's, uh, it's a base camp of uh, people living there around 26 old Venuses uh, made of, uh, um, of chalk, which is, uh, you know, white chalk, and easily uh, the same as the one we found in Wittendorf, for example, those figurines of uh, representing women. And uh, it has been 60 years since we haven't found any Venuses in France. So that was a really uh, very new uh, findings and uh, very exciting uh, uh, discovery made in, uh, made in France. And that's also very up north of France because uh, scientific thought that nobody lived at that time so high up north in France because it was very cold. Uh, they are about finding new things in Renoncourt. Uh, I think... Mo- uh, a little bit less than 20 uh, are all are not complete or are maybe some only pieces of those Venuses. But it seems that they, uh, this place was like a, a, a handcraft uh, um, manufacturing of uh, Venuses at that time. Well, they, uh, people met, uh, they lived there for a certain period of time, um, mainly around the spring. During that period, they, they hunt and they make those, uh, those Venuses, those representation of women. Starting point of, uh, of our inquiries, our investigation for finding about what, uh, women was, was the, the daily life of women during this, uh, prehistoric times. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, identifying gender? Because is it so easy to identify gender from fossilized bones? And what can these bones tell us a bit more about society? When you talk about gender, uh, I think you're talking about sex. So what's the sex of a fossil? Because gender is, is quite different of, of, of sex. You know, you can find something. Uh, in, gender is more cultural. Sex is, is biological. So... Um, the biology of fossil is not very easy to, to find. Uh, at the beginning, in, in, in more than 150 years from now, when the, the archaeological uh, science started, uh, people thought that, well, a way to find the sex of a fossil is to analyze the bone and the long bones. I mean the bones from the arms and from the legs. And if they are strong, 
and they are the bones from a man. And if they are uh, very thin, or thin, then not, not to be broke, but I mean more thin, they are from uh, a, a woman, because usually, and that's uh, a very you know, discussable ter term, you, that's what it usually means, uh, in, in, in the animal kingdom, normally, uh, man, if you look primates, uh, primates, the male are very strong and the females are less strong. So this was one of the first clues that can tell scientists how uh, sexing the, the fossil. But it's very not a, a really good way of sexing fossils during the prehistorical time because at that time, women were strong, really strong women. Because they, they walk a lot, they work a lot, they use their muscle a lot for everyday life. So they have this body very full of, uh, of energy. And the muscle are pulling the, uh, the bones and, and getting the bones stronger. So that's not a, a, a good way of, uh, of sexing fossils during that prehistoric times. So they, uh, during the, uh, the late, very, the, the near end of the 20th century, there's a, 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 scient a, Czech, a Czechoslovakian uh, scientist, which is named Jaroslav Brusek, who analyzed the, uh, the hips of uh, women. And uh, analyzing the hips is very uh, a good way because uh, women gave birth. And so the, the, the form, the, the, the different angle that you can measure on the hips of a, uh, of a woman can tell you, or a hips, a fossil hips, uh, can tell you if either this hips belongs to a woman or belongs to a man. The problem is you don't have a hip in, in every fossilized uh, fossil that you find in, in prehistorical time. We have found a hips in, enfin, scientific found a hips in, in the Lady of Cavillon, which is a, a fossilized, uh, uh, a sepulcher uh, founded near uh, near the border of France and Italy, and this um, this now Lady of Cavillon uh, has been told to be a woman because they measured the hips and this uh, coaxial bone, and that tells scientists that this was not a man, but a woman. Now we have uh, other clues of finding uh, the, the sex of fossil. For example, there is a, a scientist uh, working at Toulouse, José Braga, who is analyzing the form of the inner ear. And the form of the inner ear, which is called the cochlea, which is the organ that you use for hearing, the form of the cochlea, the way it turns, because it's like a, a snail's, like a, it turns like a snail's. And this form indicates that uh, it's a woman or a man. And this, you have a lot of skulls in, in fossilized time and in prehistorical time. So it's this way, it's sure on 95%, you're sure that it's either a woman or a man. And for sure, the, 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 the best way to, uh, and to be sure that it's a man or a woman is to use genetics to use the DNA, but uh, unfortunately, you don't have DNA on all fossils. But with DNA, you're sure with the uh, Y or X chromosome, it's a man, 
or if you find uh, X and X on the 23rd um, pair of the chromosome, it's a woman. So there are several ways of, of sexing fossils, but some are easier and some are not so easy. I think as well, like when we think of people from this time period, we think, um, like I'm, I'm kind of thinking about what these women look like. We think of animalistic, sort of hairy, human-type people. How accurate is that as a portrayal of Homo sapiens? Well, it's, it seems that it's not at all accurate. Uh, we, when we do our research on that, we, those population of the upper population has a very strong culture, and they use... A lot of things that says that they have uh, uh, a very dressed uh, with with clothes, very thinly um, make. They they use uh, needles. The the oldest needles found in in, in archaeological time. It's uh, more than sixty thousand years ago. So it's it's a very very old tool that we still use today. That's incredible. I think it's it's the um, Every time you look at a needle, think that this tool is 60,000 60, years old. It's, it's amazing. And so they, they know the use of the needle. They, they use it to, to make their clothes, to, to uh, make their clothes hotter, to make their, their clothes much more tighter to their body, uh, for uh, preventing them from the wind, from the rain, and uh, to use it also in a, in a way to wear them in winter or in summer or in spring. So there's, there's a lot of things. And they use also a, a lot of uh, ornaments on those uh, clothes, like stones, uh, shelves, uh, maybe a piece of wood that, that we don't discover in archaeological sites, but a lot of... Beads also uh, that has been found on, on many, many, many uh, tombs. So it seems that those people are, uh, have a, uh, a very special way of of wearing of their or making their clothes that indicates that their culture was very advanced and they have a, a very strong culture. And all those things are symbolic in a way that. It tells someone, it tells something about them as individuals, but also as a member of a group, as a member of a tribe. Uh, and this is not made only for, I don't know, fun. It's what are their place in the world and also uh, their beliefs and uh, their cultures. So this, the way we 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 present these um, prehistoric times with those men dressed in rags, this is complete, uh, uh, not at all uh, accurate uh, vision of of those people. The social stage is something really difficult. You can't really tell so much from archaeological evidence. But can we, in this instance, tell the social status of Homo sapiens, and how do personal objects play a role in this? Well, you, you can take the, the, the example of the lady of Cavillon about before. Astonishing, because this person, at, at that time, they, it has been discovered in uh, 1872, so more than a, more than a century in the, from now. 
by Emile Riviere, uh, so at the border of France and Italy, and uh, in, in a very small cave, and just near the tomb, uh, this is a sepulchre, uh, there was a, a horse engraved on the wall, about a meter and a half high from the level of the, of the grave. And this horse is, is full with, with uh, uh, straight lines, like if it was hunted. But the, the two, uh, for example, on the, on the head of the person, is uh, some kind of, uh, not a head of beads, uh, uh, from uh, shelves uh, just from the Mediterranean border, and also tooth from deers. Uh, which are very uh, precious for this time because deers have only two of those teeth and there are more than uh, 150 uh, on this uh, on this wearing, on this head wearing. So um, you, you have to find them and you have to, or exchange them again with all, all sorts of, of goods if you want to make these 150 be, uh, you know, um, tooth, Teeth on, on, on your head, so, and it, it's needle like in a I don't know how you are, a fishing net, you know, it's uh, and all this you have all this uh, sepulture, uh, two pieces of um, uh, frogs, uh, you know, very cutted rocks, which is from uh, a site which has been uh, um, catch from a site more than a. 200 kilometers from Vintimi, where this body was discovered, so very long distance, um, and also some pieces of uh, of uh, the leg of a horse, um, and also uh, uh, some kind of um, of bracelet that you put on your uh, on your uh, leg. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. So all these things... um which is exotic in, in, in a way, like these, um, these deer tooth, um, tells that there's a lot of prestige. This person that has been uh, buried here has, has a lot of prestige w- with the living person because it's very difficult to tell about the, with the object on a, on a, on a burying uh, what was the life of that person? It tells more about what the living thoughts of that person, because they left these objects on that person for her life after death. So if you left a lot of prestigious uh, objects, you, in a way, they disappear from their this... Uh, living word of the living. So you, you give them, you, you give this person a very important object like knives. You tell that with the engraving that made 
a funny story about this uh, this tomb of the Lady of Cavillon. It's that when Emile Rivière founded it in um, 1872, it's that for them, for these archaeological of archaeologists of that period, they it was a man. It was a man because these long bones were very strong, and it's t- it took more than a century to analyze the hips of this skeleton and to find that, no, it's not a man, it's a woman. And it changes all the perspective of what was this uh, woman buried in that place with all these rich objects with her for her uh, living after day journey. So they thought at first that it was a man, it was a hunter, uh, he turned horse. But when we say, no, it's not, a, it's not a man, it's a woman. So she said, but why? Uh, so women could turn horse? You know, it's, it was a, a really strange uh, period when people just was, you know, were not a very, how you say, um, easy thinking of, the, the status and the role of, of this Cavillon woman. I love it. The, the idea of blowing the minds of these uh, sexist Victorian era men by saying, no, actually, I think you'll find that was a woman. Uh, let, let's talk about some things. Um, that, let's talk about sex, because do we, are we right to assume that these people lived so long ago so that they didn't sort of subscribe to the same kind of morals as us and the way that we behave, like, Things like incest or capturing your wife and taking taking them off from another place, like can you, they're, they're kinds of what we would consider animalistic ways of behaviour associated with sex, or can we say that didn't happen? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, it's it's surely very difficult to to know about these this question based only on scientific and archaeological evidence because we really don't know their beliefs, their social uh, way of interacting. We were not there, and nobody were there to to write. We don't have any uh, writings on that period. This is why we call it prehistory, you know. So, um, but what we can what we know is that. On the Homo sapiens, and this is told by genetics, there weren't any incest at that period. No on Homo sapiens. When we analyzed all these, um, the DNA, 
the DNA tells us that it's always uh, a man and a woman from two different families that gets together to make child. It's not, we have the difference, uh, for example, in, in Neanderthal. In Neanderthal, yeah. we know that uh, there were, there were incest. There were uh, very, very um, closest uh, unions because there were also maybe few Neanderthals uh, to mate with. So mm. they, they don't have this, this idea of, uh, you know, genetic diversity. It's difficult to tell about this, why they do that, but they knew or maybe their beliefs uh, told them that it's better to mate with a guy or a girl from another group than in your own family. That's what DNA told us. After, um, we just um, hypothesized about what could be the relation between man and woman. Uh, and we make it with the help of anthropology and ethnography. If, if you look about those uh, parallel between those traditional society of hunter-gatherers in Africa, in Asia, or in South America, even in North America sometimes also, um, well, the, the, you have cases of rape or, or taking a, a woman from another group, but it is very few examples of that. It's, it's mainly, when you have this, it's because the group uh, don't have any women left, maybe because of disease, maybe because of an accident, or maybe because there's a war between two true two groups. And so for vengeance, for um, survival, they steal uh, women from another group. But this is very um, rare or, or not so often. So when we ask Chris Ren about this uh, way of uh, mating uh, two people, they, they say, well, it's, it's maybe not the, the best solution or the traditional solution. The, the, more, the more solution, uh, the hypothesis more um, uh, often was to uh, make some uh, relation and, and with, with another tribe during uh, great meetings. Because there were great meetings between uh, all sort of groups uh, like you can say in, in, in Gonesnorf or in um, Mazdazine in France, people came all around Europe uh, just to meet, to maybe exchange, to hunt together, to make a big uh, fiesta. And, um, and this is how they, they, they made maybe, you know. This is what tells, well, this is what scientific thing that tells those engravings inside the Gonersdorf uh, site that has been discovered. So you've mentioned anthropology already. To what extent can we use it to find our answers to questions about sexuality, marriage, sex, affection? So if, for using the ethnology or the ethnographic uh, analysis, uh, we have to make to be very cautious about it because 
today, hunter living uh, hunter gatherers are not uh, prehistoric people. They are not even the descendants of prehistoric people. They are their they have their own culture. They have their, their own own way of living. The only way is that they they in the same condition. And if you analyze the techniques of living, like making fire, making tools, hunting, um, dealing with seasons, well, you can say that maybe they could, they could uh, use the same techniques for, for, for living at those hunter-gatherers from prehistorical times. So this is a, a first way of, of uh, helping um, the findings in archaeological prehistorical sites with the use of ethnography and anthropology. The other way is to make some kind of statistics to try to understand what could be the more uh, correct answer on the findings or the way of uh, people deals when they live in, uh, in a way very close to the nature when, with uh, their thinking, their beliefs, um, but still, uh, beliefs don't, don't left uh, a lot of traces. Thinking don't don't left a lot of traces. Symbolical things is very difficult to interpret. So, ethnography and anthropology just helps you to maybe uh, narrow the fields of possibilities or say that it's likely to be that way more than this way. And this is how we work on, on, on Lady Sapiens. So how important is the archaeological site? Because there's another archaeological site. You've not just worked with one, you've worked with a few, which is uh, the Rock O uh, Sorciers, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Perfect. And it's a rock shelter in, in Vienna and... Um, how does it help in understanding women homo sapiens? So, the Rocco Sorcier is very famous in France. It's, they, we call it the last school, you know, this very famous cave where you have those paintings on, on the walls. And the Rocco Sorcier is the, the last school of the sculpture. Because what we found in, in Rocco Sorcier are, are very beautiful sculpture of animals and women engraved on this rock shelter. Uh, at that period, we're talking uh, 15,000 years from now, so that's very old. Uh, it, it was a complete rock shelter with the, um, uh, lots of engraving, even on the ceiling. Now the ceiling is gone because, you know, the, uh, the, the rocks has, has fallen apart, but we still have the wall. And on this wall, we the person shows us two parts, which is very... For them, very important. There is this figure of three women, and just next to it, you have this figure of uh, these um, mountain goats, and uh, it's for them tells the story about procreation of their the the, the understanding of how human and animal gaze births with with sex. I mean, uh, some persons think, thought before that, um, at that time, those people, those hunter-gatherers, uh, didn't make the link 
between sex and procreation because you have to wait nine months to have to to have the baby and it's not the day you make sex that maybe you you make the baby you know uh so it's not very evident but these people lived very close to the nature so they they look at the animals they see the cycle of life from years to years from season to season so they are aware of the signs of the nature and we thought also that women can felt the changes in their body um during their cycles you know their women have uh, month cycles that well you know everyday women since their adolescence uh, are, are aware of so uh it, it and as i as i said there's uh, a parallel with ethnography and anthropology there's no records of this kind of society of hunter gatherer societies today that didn't make the link between sex and procreation. They have a lot of beliefs around that. I mean, uh, they don't think our scientific thinking of, well, you have to have sperms and ovals and you have the sperms who get inside the oval to make the first egg and uh, the eggs has to be, you know, this scientific explanation that we have, that we know. They have a lot, they have different explanation about how to make babies. They put spirits, ancestors, um, I don't know, um, gods or, or whatsoever, a lot of beliefs that are put in how a, a human being is created, but sex is always in this explanation. And what tells us the Walker Sorcier is that we have this three figure of women. One is, in, is pregnant, one has just the relief from the child, and the third is Maybe a young woman who hasn't been um, pregnant or a, a, a woman who already has a child uh, because they are, this woman is associated with a bison and the bison has the same uh, pre time pregnancy as the, as the human, nine months. And this pretty figure of woman is just close to another um, sculpture which... Um, which tells about uh, how mountain goats are, are dealing with sex during um, the, uh, the mating period. Uh, you have these uh, two males, male goats, you know, fighting each other to gain the female, which is just beneath. The female is in, is in hot because he, she has her tail very up to sew his genitals organs. And this, um, this female goat has also a, a, a little baby. So together, these two uh, scenery is like a link between sex and procreation. They, they understood how it works with animals. And they draw it in a very different way how it works with women. But in a way, you, you cannot see those two scenery which is very near close to each other without thinking well they know the cycle of life they know how to make babies they know that sex is one part of the of the procedure of the procedure if i if i may talk like this but yeah uh it's it's maybe not the only explanation 
or they, they have to have baby, but yes, you have to have sex to make babies. And that was already known in prehistorical time. So sticking onto the subject of sex and babies and things like that, because that kind of leads us very nicely to things like family life. So how can we better understand how a lady sapien organized her family life? What would she do every day? Well, um, you have to think about that in, in, in um, I don't know. We, we ask um, people are, uh, which are working on, um, on, on primates and on the way uh, we, we developed also our consciousness, our awareness of, of uh, people that are living together. We, uh, our species uh, is very uh, dumb when we are very young, you know, as a baby. We, we, can, we, we hardly see, we hardly hear. The only senses that we have uh, quite well is the sense of touch. So as a baby, we're, we're harmless. I mean, we cannot survive with the, with, without others. We need our parents. We need our brothers, sisters, uh, uncle, aunt, aunt, whatsoever who are, who are around us to, to, to survive because we, we cannot feed on, 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 the, on ourselves. We cannot drink on ourselves. We cannot even... Uh, have our daily needs made uh, with, without the help of anybody. So, um, and it's and, and it will take very very long time to be aut- autonomic. Uh, I mean, independent to feed, uh, drink, um, walk. Uh, you know, uh, uh, autonomy on on a child takes two three years. Uh, and he he will be very independent around six, and he will have this his adult stature around fifteen. So it's very very long um, growing, and it takes time and it takes energy. Uh, and so the energy has to be brought by somebody else. So the whole tribe. Some people uh, analyze the the teeth to to try to understand at, at what time does the mothers stop milking the baby on these uh, on this tray. Um, unfortunately, he works uh, on which is uh, which is Vincent Balter from from the UNS Lyon. He works only on on erectus, so one point five million years. So we only have. Uh, he is still working on that for for this period that interests us. That's the upper Paleolithic, but still, that's what what he discovered on on Homo erectus. Is that those the babies of Homo erectus are are milked three or four years, so that's quite a long period, but less than primates. Primates, it's six years, even if. It has also primates use uh, mixing. Uh, I mean, uh, they, they eat uh, leaves and they, they eat other. But what we saw is that during our evolution, this milking period, this period where the mother gave only milk to the child, is, is tending to reduce, which is, which is very odd because if, if we have this growing period that goes until 
15 years old, you, you could say, well, we, it's easier to, to give milk to your baby, you know, so it, it should, yeah, it should grow also. But no, it, this period tends to, to uh, diminish. Uh, and that's because the other people around the family take care of the child. And this is how also um, Chris and Ox told us with his uh, uh, um, uh, recordings of the uh, San hunter-gatherers is that the, the, the person who takes care of the baby inside those, uh, those hunter-gatherers was the grandmother. The grandmother plays a, a big role in, in feeding those, uh, those youngsters who, are, who, are, um, who stops uh, being milked by, by their mother. They, 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 they gain more than 30% of their energetic needs for a day um, with those uh, roots, they, they take it from the earth. And uh, it makes a very big difference where you have families with uh, older mothers, great-grandmothers, -grandmother, and the families who haven't. They, they help the youngs to grow better, stronger, and heavier. And, and the, those families who haven't, their, their grandmothers, they are in, in a very difficult ways feeding their, 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 their children. So, and, and, it's, and they made some statistics about that. And they made statistics uh, on how their, their, their survival uh, rates of those um, groups with and without this uh, input, energetic input of great of grandmothers, and they they show that well, if you don't have these these inputs, uh, well, the groups uh, could could not survive in, in those kind of situation they are in. So it seems that it's it's. Quite the same way in, in prehistorical time that has been uh, organized. The, the the social community is is completely based on um, cooperation between old and young, between mothers and, and grandmothers, between uh, men and women also. So it's not a way. Oh, you can think it's it's only animality or cruelty because we're, we're living in the nature and, and the nature is so bad so we have to fight every day. In certain situations, for sure, it, it could be, but that's not the, the whole picture, the best picture that you have. The, the, the picture of humanity is a, a, a cooperative way of dealing with everyday life. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I know we can sit here and ask a hundred more questions on this subject, but I think people should go out and buy your book instead and have a look at the beautiful illustrations and learn a little bit more about women from this time period because it's so interesting and something that we don't really think about much, do we, at the end of the day? Um, you mean the, the, the parallel between us and, and yeah. those periods of times? yeah. Well, for sure, you know, we can say that uh, today we're, we're thinking a lot about the, uh, you know, our, our way of, of uh, according us between men and women in society, the way of, of dealing with things. I think what tells a priest uh, for our today life is that cooperation, as I was just saying, is, 
the best way of surviving of of living it's not only surviving it's living you know it's better to to be friends and to be well it's i hope i i'm, I'm not saying you know you know imagining a lot of, uh, like like the john lennon songs but well yes this is how maybe the the more likely those uh, groups of human survive in those ancient times cooperation exactly thomas remind our listeners the name of your book uh the book is lady sapiens um and so it's written with eric parkas jennifer carner and myself and there's also the documentary that well hopefully you could find on uh, on several platforms which is the same name lady sapiens so quite easy to remember grab the book watch the documentary thank you so thank- much Thank you so much. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.